been speaking quite a bit about some events leading up to the final week of Christ, and we're going to continue that again this morning, uh, but I just want to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. We're going to take our thought this morning and, and talk about watch and be ready, and we're going to take it out of Matthew, the 24th chapter. We'll be reading the first few verses. Well, we're going to read basically the whole chapter, but not really. Um, we'll hit high spots and low spots and in and out and uh, talk about uh, what Jesus was telling his disciples he felt was important, last-minute instructions. Amen. You ever have that kind of thing? The doctor will take you in there and counsel with you, and now this is the last thing you need to remember. All that other stuff he jumped was that was just to charge you more money for what he's going to do, but uh, boy, when he gets down to the last-minute instructions, we've got to pay attention then. So turn to Matthew 24, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity we have to call on you in a way that uh, we can invite you into the service. Holy Spirit, speak through us, anoint your word in a special way that as it leaves my mouth and hits ears, it'll have an impact in the lives of those that have pressed their way to the house of God to hear what thus saith the Lord. Again, Lord, we ask that you just guide us into the, if you would, Easter celebrating season. Uh, but for us, Easter is a year-round celebration when we think about what you did in your death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven. It was all for us, and we appreciate what you did. So we want to magnify your name, glorify all that you do for us, and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 24, I'm just going to read the first three verses there, and then we'll talk about it a little bit and move forward. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Got the picture? He was in the temple, and he went out. That's just like this morning. When service is over, what are you going to do? You're going to go out the door. All right? Now, as you go out the door, somebody might meet you outside and say, Man, look at this beautiful building. Isn't it something? You know, and you went in and out, in and out, week after week, year after year, and eh, it's just a building. It's been there, okay, for since what, 1879? So, uh, some reason or other, his disciples, it said, came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Wow. You think he'd ever seen the temple before? Well, let's find out. Jesus said unto them, Say ye not these things. Or, I'm sorry, see ye not these things? And that's a question. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Then there's a fill pot. See that in verse 3? Two lines down with a backward P kind of thing. And that means there's a space of time between verse 2 and verse 3. And he sat upon Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? All right. For the last four Sundays, we've kind of tried to build into uh, Resurrection Sunday or Easter, however you want to look at it. And I've spoken on things that I believe weighed very heavy on Christ's mind and heart in the last week that he had on this earth. Amen? Uh, a lot of us have a, uh, a lot of things in our life we worry about. How many of you, when you were 10 and 12 years old, worried about writing your last will and testament of what you're going to have everybody to do with all your possessions when you leave this world? No, you don't worry about that until you realize, ah, it might be getting pretty close for me to be leaving this world. Bonnie and I just got our uh, wills done. We got to have them notarized, and, and then uh, you guys uh, might all want to get a copy of it to see what you're going to get. But don't make me mad because it's in pencil, and I can't erase names out of it. So, All right. But nonetheless, it, the closer you get to knowing or grasping the idea, you're not going to be here much longer. The, or let's say it this way. The odds are against you 
being here on this earth for a long, 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 long time, especially when you've already burned up over seven decades of it. Uh, you know the time is getting closer. Well, for Jesus in his final week, he had some things that really, really, really pulled him down, if you would, or was concerned or weighted him down. And one of them we spoke out was Judas Iscariot. He knew he was going to be betrayed by somebody, and actually he even knew who it was. But even though he carried that thought with him, he didn't express it outwardly to all the disciples until, if you would, the last minute. All right? Then he cleansed the temple. He was embarrassed, if you would, sometimes. I guess it's the way I would describe his mindset, going to the temple to praise and worship his father, and all he could smell is the sheep and the cows and the birds, and then all the guys arguing over how much money they want to get changed from the money changers. And we know they weren't very good at math, and they would try to cheat the people. And, of course, that probably caused arguments. If you want to start an argument with somebody, shortchange them some money. All right? You can mess with anything else they got. You can run over their car and run through their yard. You can do donuts in the yard, whatever you want. Just don't mess with their money. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've stood in line behind people at a different restaurant or a different thing that got shortchanged about 30 cents when the cashier handed them back. Man, oh, man. You thought that was the end of the world. But nonetheless, um, Jesus knew that the cleansing of the temple was something that had to be done, needed to be done, and he took it upon himself to make sure it was done and done right. So he cleansed the temple. Then we found out that he was being anointed by some of the sisters that he knew. And uh, he said that was a preparation for his burial. So he understood that was coming, and his burial was in the near future. Well, last week we talked about the Pharisees. Amen. If you missed it, you need to hear that one, because they claimed that they loved God, but despised God in the flesh. Hmm. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen. They thought they had a better connection to God than God's very own son. Huh. Isn't that something? Amen. I have seen some companies where the owner of the company, his son was growing up and his dad was grooming him to take over the company and it made some of the other people in the company kind of jealous because they thought they'd worked there for decades and thought maybe they deserved a promotion or two and the dad gave it to his son. Uh, uh, uh. Well, I can understand the envy and the jealousy and all going on there, but nonetheless, God knows what he's doing when he sent his son into the world, and the Pharisees couldn't grip the fact that they, he had a higher seat or a better understanding of what God wanted for mankind than they did. Well, this morning... I'm going to talk to you about what Jesus talks to his followers about in this particular chapter. Of course, it's also in Mark 13 and also in Luke, the 21st chapter. You can go back and read some of the same things that we're going to cover here. But it's all about watch and be ready because the day is going to come when you're going to have to because his death on the cross of Calvary is going to come to pass sooner than they think. But it's not the end of Jesus. He didn't want to panic them into thinking, when I die, that's the end for me. Because it wasn't. He taught them, and three days later, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be some things going on. Um, actually, when I think about um, Calvary, um, coming to pass, I know it's a sacrificial something that God, God had his son go through, but uh, it's not the end of Jesus in my viewpoint. It's just Jesus really getting started. Amen? Now, he had a good earthly ministry, but Jesus was focused more on helping everyone that would believe on him after his death, burial, and resurrection 
than he was the handful that believed on him while he walked this earth. Now, the, everything has a way of working its way out. So Jesus wants to tell us this morning, watch and be ready for his return. Amen? It's easy for us because we live on this side of what he did. That Last week, he did walk on this earth. Next Sunday, it's going to be Palm Sunday. We'll have a message for that. The following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So if Jesus doesn't return before either one of those Sundays, we'll be ready for him, if at all possible, and we'll leave all that in God's hands because we don't have the future. But before either of those Sundays, uh, that's where we need to hope and, and put our trust in what Jesus wants us to be. But this morning, Matthew 24, 1 through 3, we read, it's one of the last reminders to his followers of some of the future events Jesus wants them to be aware of. I think he was more concerned about his disciples forgetting that he's coming again than they were about whether he was going to be nailed to a cross or not. That pretty much was uh, a set stone kind of scenario. They weren't going to let him out of Jerusalem without killing him. But he wanted them to know that's not the end. So we see in verse 1, Jesus is in the temple. He went and he cleaned it out. Everybody came to him. Scripture even says he healed them all. Then he taught them. Amen? And then we find that the Pharisees were mad at him because they didn't think he had the authority to be teaching in the temple. After all, he had not graduated from their high school or their college or their seminary or their theological school. So they didn't think he had the authority. So they were asking him questions, and all the time they were asking them, they were dumb questions, questions they already thought they knew the answer to, and they didn't. And Jesus had to straighten them out on each of those particular uh, issues that they asked. So here he comes out of the temple, and the disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. As if he'd never seen it before, never noticed it. He'd already cleansed it. He taught in it. He healed in it. He went in it. He went out of it. He went all over it. And they said, hey, have you ever seen this temple? Amen. Well, this is the temple where Jesus did all of his work, all of his teachings, all the things that he wanted to do. And he taught the crowds his father's will for their lives. This is the temple the Pharisees actually was always trying to get him in a corner in. Now many times they even wanted to take him out of the temple. And the scripture says to stone him. And he walked right through the midst of them, the scripture says. So here we are, as foolish as if you would think that question is, Jesus, did you ever notice the temple? Well, he says to them, I, I've got an answer for that. Is it, it was kind of like they wanted Jesus to take note of the great structure as if it was the first time and admire the magnitude of that temple. Amen? When I needed to go somewhere and took um, in my, my travels, a lot of times I'll ask Bonnie, does she want to go with me? And when Betty still lived at home, we'd put her in the back seat and we'd go out through the countryside. You know what she'd always say to us? And we kid about it now when we do. Look at all the pretty houses. And then she'd say, look at all the pretty trees. And of course, for her to go out into the countryside is as if she'd never seen a house before or if she'd never seen a tree before. And that's kind of the mindset I'm thinking these disciples are telling Jesus have you ever seen the temple before you ever notice how pretty it is how nice it is oh isn't it great well it's as if that's never happened I kind of think Jesus just stopped for a second took a look around and said what he said when we read verse number two and Jesus said unto them see ye not all these things I've seen them 
You really see them now? Huh. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What kind of statement is that to his disciples and probably took their breath? They were just explaining to him how great and marvelous the temple looks and how wonderful it is. Solomon took years to build it. Isn't it wonderful? It's been destroyed a couple of times, but they've come back and restored it, and it looks so wonderful. Jesus said, well, you can look at it if you want, but it ain't going to last much longer till there's not going to be a stone left upon one another. This, this temple is going to be completely destroyed. Now, we don't talk too much about that per se in our day because we've lived beyond that destruction of that temple. It took place in A.D. 70. History books tell us all about that. And we know what happened there. And it was destroyed. And I've even read some articles on it that say archaeologists try to pinpoint in Jerusalem exactly where the temple was, and they can't figure it out. Because it was so destroyed that they can't find out exactly where... I mean, they know it's next to the Brook Kidron, and they know about the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane and Calvary, and they know all about but they just can't seem to put their finger on where the temple was because it was so utterly destroyed. And I've also heard that when Solomon built it, he had so much gold that his father David had taken in that a lot of the things that were in the temple were not only covered with gold, I had heard that he also put gold between the stones in the mortar that built that temple. So when they came to destroy the temple, they weren't necessarily interested in making sure every stone got destroyed. They were just greedy. They wanted that gold. So to get it, they had to absolutely tear every stone in there apart. Amen? So here we find Jesus, and, and we find it in verse 2 or 3. It's as if Jesus, when he walked out of uh, the temple, and then he walked, if you would, it says he went to the Mount of Olives. Now, that's not a very far walk. It's just a short place. Um, it's down one hill, crossed what they called the Brook Kedron, just a little creek, probably just hopped over there or stepped in it and out, and it wasn't deep or anything. But it was just a, a brook there that's called Brook Kidron. And they went out of that city and then into a garden that was well known to Jesus and his disciples. And that's where they would go a lot of times in years gone by or even this particular last year of the life of Christ. They would go there to get away from the crowds and get some rest. And actually, that garden that's there, uh, once they re, uh, arrived there, they were in what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, we know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane with Judas Iscariot, but not this particular night. It's going to have to wait another day till Judas arrives there. But once they got there, they were settling in for the night. They had uh, uh, some uh, preparation for getting bread. They had to brush their teeth and put their jammies on and get fluff up their pillows, which were the rocks in the garden, and uh, they were going to lay down and rest for the night. Um, in Mark's gospel, in, in Mark 13 and 3, it just says that there were four disciples, and it names them. They were Peter, Andrew, James, and John came to Jesus. But here it says the disciples came privately. In other words, they didn't want to stir up a lot of trouble. I don't know whether that's because they didn't want to appear ignorant or, you know, they just didn't want to cause a lot of noise because they were there to try to get some shut-eye. And some of the guys maybe already even had found their niche where they're going to waller out to spend the evening. And so they came to Jesus and they asked him for more details about these things that he said. And when uh, he stopped, and took a, a last glance at that beautiful temple and said what he did, they needed to know more about it. Actually, they asked him three questions in verse 3. They asked him about the destruction of the temple. They asked him about his second coming. And they asked him about the end of the world. Well, with the answers we get, 
from Jesus here in this uh, part of the scripture, we find that, that two of those questions are simultaneous. Him coming again and the end of the world is simultaneous. Okay? Now, I know there are a lot of preachers out there that want to teach Jesus is going to come back and steal the church and rob it because he's coming as a thief in the night. He's only going to take one here on the field and leave one. And he's going to, I know all those scriptures. And I know what Jesus is really teaching here. And you need to understand it maybe a little bit yourself. But I just, just to ease your mind on that, I can't teach that today. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that teach a tribulation and a millennium and all that after Jesus comes back. Um, but uh, I'm here to tell you that the second coming of Christ and the end of the world is the same, same thing. Uh, it's going to happen all together at the same time. Amen? As for the destruction of the temple, we know that happened in A.D. 70. We ha that's historical. We've got all that. And actually, Jesus didn't really even want to go into a whole lot of detail then. He could have told them when it was going to happen. And he actually did, but they didn't know it. You know how he told them? Verse 15, I believe it is. Yeah. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, and whosoever readeth, let him understand. You know, you know that there's a 70-week prophecy in the book of Daniel? Now, we read 70 weeks and we think, oh, you know, that's not very long. You know, 70 weeks ain't much, you know. But here Daniel prophesied about it in the Old Testament, and Jesus is pointing it out to him. But it, actually, that 70 weeks turned into 70 years. Spiritually speaking, there are even scriptures that says, God, for a week can add a year. Or for a year, God can do it in a week. Amen? Well, in this uh, thought of Daniel's prophecy, it basically works out that a week was a year. He said 70 weeks, it took 70 years. How about that stuff? Amen? So when all those answers came to pass and you let us know what was going on, uh, we find out that the destruction of Jerusalem wasn't really on Jesus' mind on his last couple days on earth. He was more concerned about his return and them being ready when he does return. Drop down in now the scripture. Of course, if you want to read about the destruction of, of Jerusalem and how he's talking about it in kind of symbolic or story time talk to them, uh, he does that. But in verse 29, it says, uh, Immediately. Now, how soon is immediately? Uh, you and I think immediately as, you know, next, right? It's going to happen right away? Well, it says immediately after the tribulation of these days. Now, when you read that, that's where a lot of people get off target in talking about the millennium and the tribulation times. But uh, now you and I... Uh, one thing immediately would, would uh, let us understand is that it designates that it's very, very soon. Or it's the next thing in the progression of events that's going to take place. That's what we think of when we think immediately. Uh, immediately to God's a little bit different. Huh. Well, let's find out. Because to God, immediately... It says it's going to be the next thing that happens of importance that Jesus is going to be involved in. But he didn't say when. Just immediately. And it's been over 2,000 years. For God, that's pretty much immediately. Because it is going to be the next thing that happens. Amen. And because it's been 2,000 years doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means it's 2,000 years closer than when Jesus said it. Amen? So we have to remember that we as on uh, see from the scriptures, God doesn't operate on the same clock and the same calendar that we work on. He says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. When? Well, the scripture says he's going to do it in due time. 
God has his own schedule. As a matter of fact, this schedule is such a tight schedule that he's keeping, even though it's been almost 2,000 years, Jesus even had to confess, I don't even know when it is. Only the Father knows. We can read that again. Doo -doo -doo. Verse 36. We're not there yet, but I just want to point that out. Only the Father knows when all that's going to happen. So, when we think of immediately to God, put it in the context of eternity. Hmm. How long is eternity? Well, you know, our 70, 80, 90, 100, 130 years, whatever we're here, compared to eternity, ain't much, is it? Amen. I heard a preacher describe eternity or tried to get the audience to get a glimpse of it. He said, if I drew a line all the way around this building, all the way around then back, and said that was eternity, your life would be less than a dot on it. That's how much eternity is. So for God to say he's going to do something immediately, he just means it's the next thing I'm going to do. Amen? You can count on that. Amen? But in the grand scheme of things, eternity and immediately could be quite a long time. Also, along the lines of God seeing things in his eyes, this is, if you would, the next coming attraction that God's going to put out. The scripture says his, uh, and it's going to follow the tribulation of these days. You know there are people worried to death about a tribulation period? Huh. And we're living right in the middle of it every day. They're worried about the battle of Armageddon, and we're fighting it every day. And so uh, they just need to get a, a, better, a better understanding of the scriptures here. Amen? So he says here, uh, that in they literally see, uh, if you would, uh, things going on. Now, reading it in verse number 39, he said, Immediately after the tribulation of these days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, we need to break that down just a little bit. Because literally, he says the sun's not going to shine. Well, a lot of times in the scripture, the S-U-N and the S-O-N is literally spiritually interchangeably. Now, we know here he's talking about the S-U-N as that big ball that comes up every morning through your bedroom window to wake you up, and it goes down every night, and that's when you know it's time to get back under the covers. Because it comes up every day and goes down. But he's saying there's going to come a time when that's not going to happen. And of course, the moon's not even going to give her light. And in other words, the moon doesn't have any light. Did you know that? The moon just reflects what the sun hits it and reflects it on it. It kind of serves as a mirror in the universe. And then he says, and the stars are going to fall from heaven. Which heaven? Well, where are the stars? We think of the stars as in the atmosphere, so to speak, or in the sky, but they're way, way, way out there. Amen? And so he's just given us, if you would, a lot of things. And then he says the powers that are going to be shaken. And then there's a colon there, and he adds to that, verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, where? In heaven. Now, we also know there's three heavens. Which heaven is that one? When Jesus comes back, where's he coming to? He's just coming back in the sky. I can prove that to you. And I'll take a little bit of time to give you a couple uh, instances of Scripture to show that to you and get you to understand what's going on there. But if those of you that are following along in the book of Revelation and taking notes, there's another place in Revelation, the 12th chapter, where something took place and the moon and the stars and, and the sun were all involved in. Revelation 12 and 1, it says, There appeared. How does something appear? Oh, that's kind of like immediately. Oh, in the same mind thinking. Immediately there was a woman clothed in the sun, 
a moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Spiritually speaking, we know that the light that we get from the gospel of Jesus Christ comes from three different areas. All right? Where does it come from? Well, the, the sun portion of it, spiritually speaking, is the New Testament. That's where the real light comes from. The moon is just a reflection of what took place. And so it's represented uh, in that as the, the moon was under her feet in Revelation 12. Again, I see it again in this particular verse. It fits the same pattern. And then the stars, they fall or they disappear or they go away. Amen? And that's, uh, again, uh, another avenue for us to have understanding as to the teachings that Jesus gave his disciples and they passed them on to the church. That's what they're speaking about in Revelation 12. It's the same thing that we're t reading here in this particular verse. So when we find those things happening, we find that uh, this all has to do with the patience of the saints. And uh, Jesus, uh, if he would, in his first tour of duty, he needs, he's getting uh, the saints a picture of that's going to be in the past. So in other words, the sun's going to be darkened. The moon's not going to shine. The stars aren't going to fall. But then guess what? At his second coming, it's all going to come alive again. He's going to understand it. Uh, the church should be focused on right now in everything they do is Jesus' second coming. Everything you do as a child of God should be that Jesus is coming again. I've got to be ready. Amen? You cannot take a break and say, you know what? Jesus ain't coming. To He's not coming. But I need to get in this world and get all I can get of it and do all I can do here and just go out and have a... Well, Jesus tells us a story about people that did that. And we're going to read that here in a little bit. That shouldn't be the mindset of a child of God. The child of God's mindset set should be that we need to be ready when he calls for us. Amen? So what's going to happen? Well, the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, in heaven, which heaven? Well, it could be a couple different ones. Uh, but this verse continues to make heaven apparent because he's going to appear, the scripture says right here, in the clouds of heaven. Now, where are the clouds? They're up in the sky. Hey, that's one of the heavens, isn't it? When God made the heaven and the earth, what did he make? He made a ball of dirt, and then he put air around it. Huh. You can read that in the first chapter of Genesis. You don't even have to read very far to understand that one. And so we keep going here. But let me turn with you just to solidify your thoughts along that line. The first Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. I just want to read a couple of verses in verse 16 and 17. And this is talking about the second coming of Christ. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And of course, that heaven is where he's on the right hand of the throne of God. Where is he going to leave that heaven and come to? With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up where? Oh, we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. You see, a lot of people say Jesus is going to come back, set up another kingdom, and set up another millennium, set up a lot of tribulation, going to go through... No, he's not even coming back to her. He's not going to hit the dirt again. He's going to stop when he gets to the clouds. And we're going to go from here, there, and meet him in the clouds to meet him in the air. Is that what it says? Or is he going to come down and steal half of us and leave the other half? No, that ain't what it says. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's his second coming. And guess what? That's also the end of the world. Amen. Now, Paul didn't go into that much detail in that particular part, but he's got some other things he's going to talk to us about. The fact that we'll meet him in the air is important to understand and it also debunks all those teachings 
of the millennium and all the other things that people want to teach when they teach literally what the Bible says rather than spiritually what Jesus was telling his disciples. Amen? So when he comes back to earth and gives uh, everybody a second chance at salvation, no, that's what they teach, but that's not going to happen. Amen? Nope, he's, gonna put a, he's not going to put his physical foot on this physical earth again because we're going to meet him in the clouds in the air. Amen? Now, verse 31, along those same lines there, with the coming of this great sound of a trumpet. Now, what's a trumpet for? Well, in the Old Testament and all the way through um, the different times in biblical times, first century, a trumpet was blown to show um, there was a warning coming or a battle or a retreat or um, they used to use them in the army. They called it reverly. Amen. What they do? They blew the trumpet. Now, whatever tune they blew on the trumpet, you knew what, what to do. First thing in the morning before the, the sun even come up in a lot of cases, they'd get on the trumpet, and you knew it was time to get out of bed. And then it was lunchtime, they'd blown. Everybody knew to go eat. Amen. And when it was time to attack, and they were in formation, they attacked. When it's time to retreat, they retreated. That was the warning signs they used the trumpet for. In the Old Testament, even in way back in the Old Testament, some of the prophets would blow through a ram's horn. You ever seen a ram's horn? They come out and they grow in circles. And if you look at them, they have a lot of ridges to them. Did you know that? Every year that a ram has horns, it grows another ridge. So if you want to know how old that ram was, when it was slaughtered, or when it passed away or died or had a heart attack, I don't know, they would take the horn, cut it off, hollow it out, drill a hole in the very end of it, and they'd play that like you would play a tuba or a trumpet. Huh, how about that stuff? But they got so good at it, that they used it for signals for everything they needed to do instead of just poking everybody with an elbow and you tell the neighbor and tell the neighbor, that'd take forever. They just blow a trumpet and everybody hear it and know what to do. Well, that's the way it is. And even in the spiritual speaking of the blowing of the trumpet in the scriptures, it talks about the message of God goes forth as the messenger blows the trumpet. Amen. Uh, there's even scripture says, if the trumpet make an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? That's a, that's a verse in the Bible. Did you know that? Why, it is. So we need to know the sounding of the trumpet. It's going to tell us when Jesus is coming back a second time. Let me prove it for you real quick. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 51 to 54 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. This is Paul again telling the Corinthians, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, when we die, you don't stay in the grave. Did you know that? How many of you knew that you're not going to sleep forever when you die? Of course you knew that. Paul told us, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty fast. Now, that's not a wink. It's a twinkle when a light hits it and it twinkles. That's faster than a wink. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. At, in other words, it's the last warning you're going to get. You better have been uh, ready before this trump blows. For the trump shall sound... And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You know, your body wouldn't be, stand a chance. Well, you know it can't stand a chance in hell. It would just burn up. But your body wouldn't even be able to stand a chance in heaven. You've got to have a new body if you're going to heaven. You've got to have a new one even if you're going to hell. It's your choice, and it's all going to take place someday 
when you're going to go one way or the other. So this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's the victory we're looking for. Amen. Amen. You could win the final four. You can be the crown champions of the men's division or the women's division. It don't matter. And that's a nice victory to have, if you would, to, to put a little sparkle in your step. But the real victory you need to see is when you're changed from being a human being that's fat and ugly into an incorruptible person that Christ wants to take with him back to heaven. Amen? That's what we're looking for. Amen? And what's the signal of it? the trumpet's going to sound or the message is going forth. I don't think it's going to be a literal trumpet, but it's the message of God telling his people the world is coming to an end and Jesus is here to call it quits. Amen? All right. Now for us that are still waiting for this event to immediately happen, we need to be the angels or the messengers sending forth the warning, the trumpet, and gathering into the church his elect, the saints, from the four winds, from wherever around us, and bring them together in the church, one end of heaven, the church, to the other, practicing unity in the spirit. Now, I read that pretty fast, but it says here that we need to do that. And he says in verse 31, he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they're going to gather. We're all coming together. His elect from the four winds, that just means all directions. Amen. Some of you from the north, some from the south, some from the east, some from the west. But we all want to come together from one end of heaven, or in this case, it's the church. We're all going to come together as the church. And guess where the church gets to go? Oh, heaven. See, when we come to church here, we're in a little bit of heaven to get ready for the next heaven. Amen? That's great, ain't it? But we can't go in these bodies we've got. We've got to get them changed, according to 1 Corinthians 15. So he's telling us that's what we need to do. With this teaching, it should be apparent that our job is to get right with God and do our evangelistic duties in this life and to win others to Jesus Christ and warn them to watch and be ready. For there's going to be an immediate coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus knows what he just told his disciples. And I can tell by looking at some of your eyes, you doubt what I'm saying. Amen? Because in the flesh, it is hard to understand. It's a spiritual teaching. So you know what he does in verse 32 to 35? He says, I'm going to teach you a parable. Now, Jesus did that often with his disciples. I think I counted one time. There's like 32 or 35 parables. I forget right now. But there's a bunch. And the disciples even said, why do you even bother teaching us in parables? He said, it's because it's for you to know the truth and those that don't want to know the truth will just think I'm telling them a good story. Amen? And they just dismiss it and let the devil lead them wherever he wants to lead them and they won't pay any attention to the gospel. But he says, here I'm going to teach you a parable because I want you to understand the truth of this. Now this story he teaches about a fig tree. He could have picked any kind of tree that he wanted that they would have recognized, but probably because he's in the Mount of Olives, the, at this particular time of the year, I don't even know exactly what time it was. Nobody does. And they, they can tell you it's going to be two weeks from now's Resurrection Sunday. You know, Easter sometimes comes in March. Sometimes it comes in April. Sometimes it's the early part of April. Sometimes it's later in April. Ain't got anything to do with what time of year it is. Huh. It has more to do with the moon 
than it does anything else. Did you know that? Huh, more to do with the sun. What they call the vernal equinox. You know what Easter Sunday is? It's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Did you know that? Go home and look it up. Or ask Siri on your way home. She'll tell you. What is the vernal equinox? That's when the sun is directly over the equator. We call it the first day of spring. Amen? And then we have to have the first full moon after that. And then it's the next Sunday that follows the first full moon. That's why sometimes it could be in March. Sometimes it's late in April. Amen? So depends on whether you're in a big hurry or not. When Easter's coming... But it's not based on that. It's based on those facts. Go home and check me out. You'll find out for sure. But here we go. He's talking here about this fig tree. Now, I'm thinking that he's in this garden. Isn't that where he went? Mount of Olives. Went across the brook into the Mount of Olives. And there's probably some fig trees there. Amen? Now, I don't know what time of year they put figs on. But you know how a tree operates in the spring. It buds, then it grows blossoms, and then it grows leaves, then it starts a fruit, and it takes a while for that fruit to mature, and then eventually, if somebody doesn't pick the fruit, it'll eventually fall off, and then all the leaves will fall off, and then it goes back into dormancy until the next spring. That's the way it works. Well, guess what? That's the way our life's going to work. We're going to have to be ready to go through the year after year things that are necessary to be prepared for this immediately event that Jesus is going to take us through. Amen? So even us, we need to be persistent in bearing our fruit until Jesus comes again. Year after year, until the words of Jesus are fulfilled by his return. Again, when? Well, verse 36 says, only God knows. I've heard preachers preach that they knew when he was coming. Amen. Guess what? Their predictions were wrong because it's already passed and he's not back yet. Amen. That's a foolish statement to even make in reality because it's contradicting what the Bible says. That's dangerous territory. But until then, I would say, watch and be ready. Because in verse 37, he sends out a warning not to be like the people in Noah's day. Again, another story, but everybody of his disciples knew what happened in Noah's day. You can go back to the Old Testament and read about it. Amen? They didn't watch and they weren't ready, and they were destroyed. Amen? And he says in verse 39, And so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I bet, I'm not a better, I just use that phrase and you'll know what I'm talking about. Noah could hear the screams and the shouting of everybody on the outside of the ark saying, Why didn't you warn us? Noah, why didn't you tell us it was going to be like this? Noah spent a hundred years telling them. And they none of them bought his story. Amen? Well, guess what? When Jesus comes again, there's going to be so many people saying, Why didn't somebody warn me? Why didn't they tell me you were coming again? I would have been ready. I'd had my tuxedo on and my black tie ready for the trip. Amen. No, they, they only wear those things on the, what do they do, the Oscars or whatever that walk they do. Stuff. Who's got the prettiest outfit? Well, why didn't you warn us and tell us the truth? And Noah had warned them for decades. Probably had laryngitis from putting out all the warnings to tell them, beware, watch, get ready. Amen? Look at verse number 42 and 43. It says, Watch therefore, 
Now, Brother Mike, you got my four study words back there somewhere. Put them on the wall up here. I want to remind you one more time. Now, I'm probably the only preacher that teaches this about the four study words, and God gave it to me years ago. I don't know if Mike's got a date on when I talked about this, but there are a lot of them. The word four of our study words, every time you read the Bible and you see the word for, you need to stop and interject the word because. Amen? It's an explanation of the action that's required. Then we got if. Every time you see the word if and you're reading your Bible, you need to just stop for a minute and say, because it's conditional. If I do this or if I don't do this, there's going to be consequences. Amen? So you need to understand those consequences as you're studying those four words. And then we've got but. That means on the other hand. I'm telling you this, but. All right. Right? It shows the exceptions to the rules on the other side of the issue. And then we've got wherefore and therefore. That means based on what was just taught, Keep it in its context. When he says, therefore, based on that teaching, here's the conclusion. Or wherefore. Okay? Now, if you don't have them written down somewhere, you don't know them, you don't understand them, you might be, you'd be advised, I'll say it that way, to understand them to get a greater understanding of the Word of God. I don't know any other preacher that preaches that but me, and I don't know why God gave them to me. I guess he wanted all of us here to understand them, and I don't know whether he's other preachers have picked up on it or not or even took the time. Uh, I'm sure they understand um, those words in their meaning, but if they ever put the stamp of those four study words in your mind, you need to understand them. So in verse number 42 and 43, as we read that, follow along, remembering those four things I just said. He says, watch therefore... What's that mean? Watch based on what I just told you. Amen? What did he just tell us? Well, there's, there was a flood. Amen? They didn't listen. Based on that, you need to watch. For, that's the next word, because, and of course ye, that's the plural form of the word you. It means all of you. Amen? Now if I was just talking to you, that's individual. But when I say ye, I'm talking to everybody in biblical terms. We don't use that in the 21st century like they did in years gone by. Uh, we, we're more from Kentucky. We say y'all. That means everybody. But it, ye means everyone or a plural form of the word you. It says, know ye not, know not what hour your Lord doth come. Since you don't know, you better take heed. But, there you go. On the other side of this, know this, that if, conditional, the good man of the house had known what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. That watch in there, he says if he had known to watch, he would have come. The date or the, the clock in first century speaking, had three-hour segments to it. And they had 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night. It started at 6 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock at evening. So the day started at 6 in the morning. From 6 to 9 was the first watch of that day. From 9 to noon was the second watch. From noon to 3 was the third watch. And from 3 to 6, again, was the fourth watch. That was also true of night as well as day. So if something happened in the third watch of the night, what time did that take place? Somewhere between midnight and what we would think is 3 in the morning. That's the third watch. Because the fourth one is from 3 in the morning to 6 in the morning. Now you, that is biblical throughout. You will read that in a lot of cases. Uh, when things happened at certain times of day and they wanted to make note of the time of day that it happened. A lot of times in their battles, they would fight battles based on that watch of the day that they're going to go out. They wanted everybody to be on the same schedule on the time. Amen? 
Now, God's not really all into time. We already talked to you about that. But here he says that if you'd have known what watch, if you know what hour a thief's going to break into your house, what would you do? <laughs> you better reckon you would. You'd have the dog out. You'd have the shotgun loaded. You'd turn on every light you could find and light the candles and everything else. And when he showed up, he'd get a, a rude awakening, wouldn't he? Amen. Well, guess what? If you know the watch that Jesus is coming, which you don't know, so why not be ready all the time? Amen? So this first time the word watch is used there with the thief, if the, the good man of the house had known what watch or what time the thief was coming, uh, he, would have, um, he would have watched. That watch there means been alert, looked out for. That doesn't have anything to do with what time of day it is, the second watch there. It's two different words. He would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Amen. He'd have been ready. He'd have been watching. He'd have been on guard. He'd have alerted his neighbors. He'd had everything set up so that guy couldn't just pop in at whatever time he wanted to steal from him. That's what Jesus is teaching. So when he says, watch therefore, look how important it is for you to be alert for the second coming of Christ. That's what he's telling his disciples. I don't know as they're really gripping all of this because here I've done took an hour to tell you about it and here they may have just got it, the short version of it. Then in verse 44, therefore, what's that mean? Based on what I just said to you in verse 42 and 43, therefore, be ye also ready. Amen? Guess what? If you know what time somebody's going to rob you, Therefore, you better be ready. Huh? Or if you know that Jesus is coming again, take heed. Therefore, be ye also ready for in such an hour you think not the Son of Man comes. Do you know why it's such an hour we don't know about? Because we've done been years and years and years waiting for this event and hadn't come yet. Huh? Wow. Hmm. Oh, don't be like Noah's neighbors because in such an hour you think not the Son of Man comes. Watch and be ready. Jesus made sure they understood that. Now you can read, and I'm not going to, but from down through here the rest, to the end of the chapter, verse 45, right on down through verse 51, now he tells another story to show the consequences of those that watch and are ready and those that don't watch and are ready. You can read that for a bedtime story and you'll understand that. But if you notice in verse number 48... What well, he says, and this is true. Those say, they said in their heart, not with their mouth, with their heart. Verse 48, but if thou evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, that's a bad thing to say. It's a bad thing to think. It's a bad thing to have in your heart because you won't Watch, and you won't be ready when the sudden, immediate event takes place. Amen? You're going to miss out if that's what you're looking at at that point. For Jesus to tell this bedtime story to his followers in the Mount of Olives to show just how important it was to watch and be ready, to me... It reminds my heart to always be ready. It's been 47 years since I got saved. Hmm. That's when I got my heart right with God. And I haven't forgotten that he's coming again in the last 47 years. Amen. Amen. Now the devil's tried to tell me, and I know he's told all of you, what's the use? Why do you spend so much time at church? Why do you put so much effort into it? Why do you just put all this, all this stuff in, 
Go have fun. Enjoy life. Amen? But I'm reminded after the devil says that to me, that God says to take care, that he's got everything under control. God even thinks about the 8 billion people in the world. I can't even imagine 8 billion people and God knows them all. The scripture even says he knows how many hairs on their head. Huh. Now 8 billion and they all got this many hairs or more or less. He knows them all. You can't pull nothing over on God. Amen. I realize he's busy. But one of these days, immediately, his plan of action is going to come to pass. Amen. And it's going to put all my tribulations, if you would, in the back seat. Amen. You know, I've often wondered how much we could do for God if we put as much time in working for God as we do about complaining about our circumstances and expressing our lack of patience for the plans of God. Ah, my. This morning, take heed. God only operates in due time, in His time. Amen? Watch and be ready. And when it comes to pass, we can rejoice together throughout eternity. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.